Good morning, Deep Run family. This morning, we will be reading from the English Standard Version. And if there's um, a need for a Bible here and you're with us this morning, you can find them in the back. Um, and if you're joining us online and you find that you need a Bible, um, feel free to reach out to us by our website and we'll be happy to find a way to get one to you. Please join with me in reading from James chapter 2. Without, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, Lord God, we love you and we ask that my words would be helpful and glorifying to you and we ask that the meditations of our hearts, the thoughts of our minds, and the actions of our lives would be pleasing to you. In the name of our Savior, amen. I would especially say that today's discussion guide on the back or emailed to you would probably be a really helpful accompaniment to, to James' subject nature today. Uh, often in James' famous letter, this, this passage becomes the big passage that, that people wrestle with. So let's, let's dive right in. You know, sola fide in the Latin, meaning faith alone, was a real rallying, rallying cry of the Protestant Reformation. Faith alone, in Christ alone, is what justifies a person, is what the Protestant reformers would say again and again in the 1500s and 1600s, that faith alone in Christ alone is what justifies a person. What I mean by justify is what declares somebody to be righteous in God's eyes. And where were they getting that from in the Protestant Reformation? They were getting it right out of the New Testament where the Apostle Paul would say to the Galatians, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul would write, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And that was well established by Paul's writings in the New Testament, but... But we've just heard that it was read in James chapter 2, 
you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So here we go. Was James disagreeing with the Apostle Paul? People throughout history like Martin Luther said, yes, there is a problem there. Uh, For instance, Martin Luther wrote that uh, James mangles the scriptures. He didn't pull any punches. (laughs) He said James mangles the scriptures and thereby opposes Paul and all scripture. Martin Luther wrote that James was an epistle of straw. And on the other hand, he wrote that I would not prevent anyone from including or extolling James as he pleases, for there are otherwise many good sayings in him. So it seems like Luther himself wasn't quite sure what to do with the book of James. And so uh, throughout history, there's been confusion and there has been debate on how faith and works work, how, how faith and works are related to one another in the life of a Christian, how faith and works work when we talk about salvation. Can you be saved by believing the right things? Or can you be saved by doing the right things? Have you thought about this? I hope we can resolve the disagreement, and actually it's not a disagreement, it's a healthy tension, really, that poses on the surface as a disagreement. So we're going to look at that today. I hope you're going to see from James chapter 2 that your actions really do matter to God. Actions matter. And I'm saying that as a Reformed Presbyterian who believes in justification by faith alone through Christ alone. I'm going to put it right out there so that you can't say, I didn't say it. (laughs) But your actions really matter to your creator. Actions matter because they are proof of an active faith within you. And so we're going to talk today about an active faith, following Jesus with an active faith, and how that active faith is going to be expressed in active works throughout our lives. And we're going to talk about a God who is in his own activity makes all of this possible for us. Those three things, an active faith, active works, but an active God. This is active faith defined, expressed, and clarified. I want to try and define active faith. I want to uh, illustrate how it expresses itself in our lives, and I want to clarify something very important about faith. Okay, so I would define faith by saying faith is agreeing with God. Faith simply is agreeing with who God says he is and agreeing with what God has done. Faith is agreement with God. The theologian Richard Lovelace wrote that to have faith is to receive God's word as truth and rest upon it in dependent trust. I think that's a great summary of what biblical faith is. And the Bible describes faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Some people refer to this chapter as the hall of faith. It begins by telling us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. But James said that, I'm sorry, not James, 
Uh, the author of Hebrews said, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So in a sense, faith is agreeing with who God says he is and with what God has done. And this faith, it expresses itself in lives that say yes to who God is and what he has done. Faith, in a way, is saying yes to who God is, to his nature, and to his promises. And you can see throughout the Bible, faith expressed in lives who agree with God. So, for instance, and James gives us two examples in this passage. He talks about Abraham, and he talks about Rahab. Abraham, uh, the father of the Jewish nation, but Rahab, who was actually a Gentile, uh, who was a resident of uh, the city of Jericho during the time of the Exodus. First, let's talk about Abraham. What we discover about Abraham in Genesis chapter 15 is that you know, God had said to Abraham, listen, Abe, I am going to bless the entire world, all nations, all ethnicities, all people groups through you and your offspring. And Abraham said, yes, I believe that. I'm going to agree with who you say you are, God, and what, you're going to promise, what you have promised you're going to do. Now, the Bible says that faith credited to Abraham's account, so to speak, righteousness, a new righteous status. And Genesis 15 tells us when God promised that to Abraham, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So what you see right there all the way back in the beginning of, of the, the story of Scripture, faith changes a person's status before God. From being an outsider with God to being an insider with God. From being an enemy of God to a friend of God. Faith changes a person's status. Faith also expressed itself in the Gentile, Rahab, because what we discover, if you read Joshua chapter 2, when the Israelites send spies into Jericho before they conquer it, uh, they find a safe haven with the prostitute Rahab. And this is interesting. Rahab says to them, the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. And if you read her, her testimony in full, you see that Rahab believed that Israel's God was the true God. And all that she did to help those spies and all that she did to help the nation of Israel was the result of her faith. And here you see her expressing her faith. We see that faith expresses itself in simple belief, right? You're the one true God. Your, your God is the God of the heavens and the God of the earth. But this is, the type of belief is important. She expresses her belief and it's more than cognitive, and this is where I want to clarify something about active faith as we see it express itself in our lives. Faith is personal. It's not just intellectual. Look at what Rahab said. It's not just intellectual. It's not just uh, cognitive. Faith is not just hypothetical, right? Like I believe in this or I believe this creed or I believe this uh, party stance. Faith is personal. Look at what James tells us in chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one. Now, for, for the ancient Jews, that was a big statement. That was a major, uh, 
that was a major foundation of ancient Jewish belief. That comes from the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So, so when James says to a bunch of Jewish Christians, you believe that God is one? Good. Like, everyone agrees on this. God is one. He goes, yeah, the demons believe that too. And they're absolutely petrified of him. So what is James getting at here? <laughs> He's saying Satan, even Satan knows that God exists, but Satan hates God. Religion, creeds, are never enough. We just read the ancient apostles' creed. Awesome, beautiful, wonderful. Creeds are not enough. A system of theology is not enough. Laws and rules, what we call religion, is never enough. Saying, like the Mandalorian, this is the way. And then living our lives in that way may be respectable and great, but it's never enough. A lifestyle, a way of life is never enough. Biblical faith trusts a person. Biblical faith is personal. More than a creed, more than the system, more than the rules, more than the habits. That is what human religion ultimately is. You put your faith in the system. Biblical faith puts itself into the person. Biblical faith is trusting a person. There's an old hymn that sings this, my faith looks up to thee. My faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary, Savior divine. For the Christian, faith is always directed at a person. So the reason I'm saying that faith is active is because biblical faith involves relationship. And in a relationship, to keep it going, a real relationship involves interaction, activity, one with another. However, James says, and he opens up the entire passage in verse 14, by asking the question, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Another way of saying that is, if someone says they have faith, but they don't have works, can that type of faith save him? James says no. Active works are, ne I know it sounds redundant, active works, but I'm going to go with it. Active works are necessary because they prove that an active faith exists. Verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, if it does not possess works within it, is dead. He's showing inaction. And how does he describe inaction? He gives an example of a brother or sister in Christ in the church who is struggling, and we say kind, religious, loving things to them, and we do nothing about it practically. James gives us an example of this dead faith, words to the poor without works to back them up. And that proves that a faith is dead. As one uh, theologian puts it, it's a bogus faith. And that's what James uses as an illustration. And Chevy talked about it last week, and I talked about it two weeks ago. The hypocrisy and not backing up with action what we say we believe in. And so James, and again, he's going to use Abraham, James proves the existence of a faith that is alive and well, a faith that's not bogus, that's not dead, but one that's alive and well. And so he returns to Abraham, and he says, you see, that faith was active along with Abraham's works. 
and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Okay, so James is saying when Abraham, now remember, when he believed God's promise, this was before he had Isaac. Years later when he has Isaac and and God commands him to give up, to sacrifice his son Isaac, and Abraham, beyond our comprehension, is willing to do that, God says, stop, you don't have to do it at all because now I know. Now I know that you love me, that you're following me. And what James is saying, that that act of obedience, right, proved the righteousness that was already declared to have been given to Abraham because of his belief. James is saying that in that moment when he was willing to sacrifice Isaac, we see faith acting along with works. Now, the phrase acting along, faith acting, uh, faith acting along with works, in the original language, it, it was something more like this. His faith was working together with his works. Working together, it was one Greek word, and it's where we get the word synergy, where two things are combining to accomplish something. He's saying that Abraham's faith and works were working together when he obeyed God and responded. Now, what's working together? This is critical, because this is where we all get confused. This is where it all gets messed up. What was working together in Abraham? What is working together in your life? Is it God and I am working together for my salvation? No, no, no. I'll say it two more times. No, no. This is where we get confused. He's not saying God and Abraham were working together for Abraham's salvation. James is not saying that. James is saying that in Abraham's life, his faith and his works were in harmony. There was no solo. There's no solo. There's no, I want you to hear my beautiful faith solo. And you can forget about what I do. Or he's not saying, I want you to hear my beautiful solo of activity and good works and good religious pious things. No. James is saying when you look at Abraham, his faith and his works were in harmony. God is doing the saving, but in the life of the believer, faith and works are in harmony. Wait, 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 wait. You're probably saying, you should be saying if you're reading your Bible and you're paying attention right now. Wait, 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 because in verse 25, he writes, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works. Okay, okay, James was using the word justify differently than Paul was using it. They were not using the same word in the same way. James is using the word justify in the same way that Jesus used the word in Matthew chapter 11. I'll give you a little bit of a context. The leaders are not believing in Jesus and what he's saying. Jesus says, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's not to our point right now. The reason I'm bringing it all up is because this is where you got to pay attention. And then Jesus says, yet wisdom is justified 
by her deeds. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. The word for justify could also mean to prove something or to vindicate a person or to acquit a person. Actually, the New International Version, English translation, puts it this way, wisdom is proven by her deeds. And that's clearly what Jesus meant because wisdom can't be saved. It's a virtue, it's a principle, it's a concept. He's saying if wisdom is there, it's going to be proven in its actions. And that is what James is saying regarding how our faith and our works are in harmony with one another. James is saying that a person's righteous actions prove their righteous status. True faith seeks the fruits of action. True faith seeks the fruits of action in your life and in your religion and in your relationships. As James said in verse 18, I will show you my faith by my works. If I love God, I will also be loving my neighbor, beginning with my brother's and sisters in the church. Because that's the illustration he uses. If, if a poor sister or a poor brother is in need, he says in verse 15. So if I am loving God, I will be loving my neighbor, beginning with my brothers and sisters right here. Otherwise, James is saying, if we ignore one another's needs, if we ignore one another's needs practically, he's saying our faith is useless. And Paul would agree with him. We find out in the end that Paul and James were in agreement because Paul would say also in Galatians, but in Galatians chapter 5, this is what really matters when we're all following Christ together. Faith working through love. Paul and James were really emphasizing different key features of what it means to be a Christian. They weren't in disagreement with one another. They were highlighting different key features of the Christian faith, of the Christian life. Think about trying to describe what an elephant looks like to someone who's never seen an elephant before. Assume we don't have like mobile phones and computers, like forget that. Assume that you're trying to describe what an elephant looks like. If you said an elephant has four legs, well, so do lots of animals. If you said an, element, an elephant has a tail, so do lots of animals. If you said an elephant is really, really big, some animals are really, really big. But what if you said an elephant has this thing called a trunk and these really big floppy ears and some of them even have these enormous pointy tusks. Now you're getting somewhere. Now you're describing what sets an elephant apart. How could you possibly describe an elephant to somebody if you don't mention the trunk and you don't mention the big floppy ears? That's what James is saying about the Christian life. How can we describe Christianity but leave out one of its key features? Action. That's like saying an elephant is an elephant and forgetting to bring up the trunk. Without a trunk, an elephant is almost not an elephant. I'm, I'm not speaking biologically. Just think about it. Look at Babar. Or, uh, I don't know, fill in your favorite elephant. Like, what is he without the trunk? And James is saying, what is the Christian life without action? Can you even call it Christianity? 
Faith without action is dead. And this is true individually, and it's true corporately. Faith without works is dead for an individual person. We should should each ask ourselves, especially if you are a Christ follower, and you call yourself a Christian, we should ask ourselves, do my friends, do my colleagues, do the other students, do my teammates, do my children and grandchildren experience the love of God in my actions? More than devotionals once or twice a week at night before the kids go to bed, more than seeing you serve in Sunday school and in and, 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 and a religious context like a church, more than saying I love you, and, and uh, do the people in our lives experience the love of God in our actions? When I was in ninth grade, the hit song by Extreme. And never did I think in 1990 or 1991 that I'd ever use it in a sermon, but Extreme beautifully sums up what James is trying to say. More than words is all you have to do to make it real. Then you wouldn't have to say you love me because I'd already know. More than words. And I have to ask myself, is my faith, is my Christianity more than words? Faith without works is dead in a corporate context as well. And the church, the American church, every individual church, deep run church, we must ask ourselves the questions, especially the leadership. We should ask ourselves the question, does the world, does the community see more than piety, more than religion, more than morality? Does the world, do our neighbors see compassion in us? Do our neighbors see mercy? Do our neighbors see hospitality? Like a lifeless body is a person's so-called religion without action. James says it's a corpse. Like a magnificent cathedral with nobody inside worshiping there, right? Or like a body without a soul. It's sad. It's sad to see a lifeless body. And James is saying it is sad to see lifeless faith. Useless religion. Faith without works is dead. Faith without action is useless. But an act of God, and this is the best part, this is what I've been waiting to say all morning, An act of God breathes life into things. An act of God breathes life into things that were once dead. An act of God breathes life into people who were once dead. And I want you to think about it. God's love doesn't just say things. God's love does things. Back to our our call to worship from Lamentations chapter 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Listen for it. Wait for it. Here it is. They are new every morning. His love and his mercy is new every morning. 
Great is your faithfulness. You see that? When you are in a relationship like Rahab, like Abraham with this living God, your faith is living because you are always aware that God is active in your life. And you discover every morning, every day, no matter how hard life is, he is merciful. He is loving. He is faithful. And we discover this over and over and over again. God's love isn't stagnant. It's not inactive, it's not festering, it's fruitful, it's alive, it's vibrant, it's productive. That is our God. He's productive. He created everything in the universe. He raised Jesus from the dead. He gave you life. He gave you the gift of faith. Jesus said, I, uh, my father is always working and I am always working. He's never inactive. He's always moving. God's love does not stagnate. And so the active love of God, it was proven, it was demonstrated, it was fulfilled ultimately in Jesus Christ. I love rehearsing the gospel with one another every Sunday because this is what we believe. This is the only truly self uh, this is the only truly living idea in the universe. This is the only idea that truly gives life to itself, that has life, that gives life to all other ideas. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It doesn't say God so loved the world that he told us he loved us. God so loved the world that he wrote us a letter. God so loved the world that he sent us, he sent us a text. God so loved the world that he posted hashtag love the world. No, he sent his son that those who ever believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. You see, it is, it is most by a person's sacrifices that we learn what they really love. What you are willing to sacrifice for reveals who you truly are. And our creator revealed who he truly is when he said, I love you and I'm sending my son as a sacrifice for your sins. God acted on his love for you. Now you act on your love for him. That is to be a Christian. That is to have a living faith that is backed up with action. I want to close with with an old quote on uh, what we're talking about today. Oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It's what somebody once wrote. And so it is impossible for it to not do good works incessantly. It does not ask whether there are good works to do. But before the question rises, it has already done them and is always at the doing of them. He who does not these works is a faithless man. He gropes and looks about after faith and good works and knows neither what faith is nor what works are, though he talks and talks with many words." That's what James is saying. And one commentator I was reading this week said, it's so ironic because the person who wrote those words was Martin Luther in his commentary on Romans. 
And so in the end, Luther didn't even know that he agreed with James. I'm sure he found out. And I pray that you will. I pray that we will. I pray that we will meet Jesus one day and he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. As I have loved you, so you have loved one another. Well done. Actions matter because they are the proof of active faith. A living faith, true faith, true religion breathes and moves. It expresses itself in love, in mercy, and in active obedience to the word of God. So my encouragement to us today for each of us individually and for all of us corporately is to seek the fruits of action in your life, in your religion, and in your relationships. And the Holy Spirit at work in you, sanctifying you, making you more righteous, cares about all three of those areas. Seek the fruits of action in your life. Seek the fruits of action in your religion. Seek the fruits of action, deep breath, in your relationships. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you that we are saved by the gift of your grace. And through our faith in Jesus and only in Jesus, we thank you that you have declared us righteous. Father, we know that we often do not act righteous. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to help us to work out this salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul once wrote. Thank you for this this sober reminder from James of what living faith looks like. Father, would you help us bear fruit that will last in our religion, in our lives, and in our relationships for the sake of Jesus resting in him and his righteousness. Amen.